Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to the Parenting for Liberation podcast, and I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each week, I am joined by other black parents, and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fear so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back with thinking, time for thinking on today's podcast, we discuss what it means to be Black and Muslim, with the heightened violence against Muslim communities from the attack in mosque in New Zealand to the Muslim travel ban initiated by the Trump administration. Oftentimes, we don't hear the experiences of Black Muslims. So today, we talk with Ida McRae, who identifies as a Black Muslim parent who is raising a beautiful Black daughter. Ida is also a social worker who strives to support the social and emotional well-being of her community, and she does a lot of work to destigmatize mental health for communities of color and Muslim families. Thank you, Ida, for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. So excited to talk to you and learn more about you. Could you start off by sharing a little bit more about yourself, your family, and how you identify as a parent? Okay, so my name is Ida McCray, born and raised in Seattle, Washington. I identify as a black Muslim woman. Um, currently, I am a single parent. I come from a large family. My parents were like married forever and had nine children. So family has always been a really important value for me. Um, as a parent, I consider myself um, a nurturer, but then also can be strict because sometimes I play multiple roles as it relates to my daughter. Um, She is four years old. Um, This year she's in preschool. She is very um, intelligent, the only child. So um, this is a new experience for me, but nonetheless, it's such a blessing being able to Um, share life with her. Yeah, she sounds like a powerful little four-year-old who is blessed to have you as her mom. So I'm really honored that you said yes to joining the podcast. I was reaching out to friends and folks who I know who practice Muslim faith because of the recent and horrific violence that happened in New Zealand and the increased and heightened Islamophobia that's happening in the United States. I'm learning, you know, as a black person that, you know, a large percentage of folks who practice the Muslim faith here in the United States actually are black folks, um, black folks across the diaspora. And so as a fellow, you know, African-American parent who's working for black liberation, um, I think it's important that we also center the voices of black Muslim parents um, on the podcast, especially given um, the multiple identities and the multiple systems of violence and oppression um, for white, white supremacy to Islamophobia. And so I really am honored that you joined the podcast to shed light on the experiences of being a black Muslim parent and also to provide us like information and insights about how we can show up in solidarity. So I want to first take a moment to honor those who lost their lives, who were attacked in New Zealand and also just around the world. 
<sighs> so, so again, thank you for joining. And I'm curious and would love to learn more about what does it mean to be Black, Muslim, parents, woman here in the United States living in that multiplied Indies? Um, thank you for um, that opening. So you speak a little bit towards intersectionality, and this is something that many people in our community experience. I think for me, when I think about these intersections that I carry, I recognize my unique experience and that when I speak with all these identities, I'm also speaking for myself and that there is a variety of narratives that many people who also carry this identity um, also have. And so for me, when I think about being a Black Muslim woman, a parent, I think about primarily being a Black person in the United States and that history and what um, experience and what trauma I have experienced just with carrying that one identity. Um, and then sometimes adding the other ones is kind of feels like an added experience of aggression here. However, on the other end, it also feels like a very great experience to have in terms of community and history and joy and love. And so if I were to um, to speak to what it means to be Black Muslim woman parent, I would say it's someone who carries multiple hats. It's someone who um, relies on God. It's someone who interacts with a variety of people on a day-by-day -day basis and, you know, learns from those around me, but also teaches. I think sometimes there is this perception of what the Muslim community is here in the U.S. And it's interesting when you see the statistics and you could say, you know, nearly one third of the Muslim community here is black. However, when you look at the media, you don't see that same representation. So sometimes as a Muslim woman, a black Muslim woman, it can feel that my experience is oftentimes ignored. Um, but then on the other end, you see so many um, black women, black men uh, who are Muslim, who are trailblazers, who are doing amazing things here to shift that narrative and create that type of representation. Um, I think on the other end, when you look at uh, being a part of the black community, I think it's sometimes um, the experience of like Islamophobia or xenophobia, or some folks maybe even uh, assuming like that I'm not African-American because I wear a hijab and assuming that I'm from somewhere else. And that can be sometimes an isolating experience. Um, however, what I've realized is some people just don't know. And then some people are just um, kind of adopting certain ideas and thoughts that they see on television. Um, and so usually when you get to know someone, um, when you share space with them, stories, 
then it can really break down the ice and um and you realize that there's a lot more that we have in common than differences especially as like black people here in the united states yeah that's really helpful um, just to hear right the like multiple identities it reminds me a lot um W.E.B. Du Bois, the double consciousness, right? So living at the intersections of both Black identity and Black experience and also Muslim identity and Muslim experience, right? And that in both of those communities, there's potentially an experience of being othered or isolated or not being understood, right? So can you speak to more of like, what is your experience in the Black community as a Muslim Um, woman and then what's your experience in the Muslim community as a black woman and like how um, that experience of like double consciousness might exist in both and like feel like you're walking in two worlds um, and trying to figure out how to live at the intersections of both in a place of wholeness for you and for your daughter that's a great question so on one end Um, My experiences in the Muslim community um, it varies right because you can find people anywhere of any faith, of any background, who are open, who want to learn more, who are willing to challenge maybe some of the biases they carry. But um, the the reality is that even sometimes within the Muslim community, uh, we face racism and or internalized racism, bigotry. So you can be in a space where everyone around you is brown or black, but the sentiments that they have towards African-Americans may not be well or are simply misunderstood. Um, So that can be sometimes a conflicting experience, right? Because you're around people who, um, you know, they care about you as community members. You share the same faith spaces. However, sometimes it can feel like, you know, being hard, you know, you, feel like you're being harmed in some of those spaces by either things that people say or imply or by the absence of even your, your, your experience or, you know, the lack of acknowledgement. And that can happen even through, as I said before, just the lack of representation. So um, I actually led a, a youth group once. I'm a clinical social worker by training, and I used to do uh, youth mental health work prior to doing more school-based prevention work. And at one time, I was leading a group for Black Muslim girls around social justice, um, activism, and identity development. And we had um, an organization that does amazing work around civil rights and within the the Muslim community as well, come out and speak about um, ways to empower Muslim youth within school settings and what rights we have here as Muslims. And it was like even the pamphlets and the things that they went over and their marketing material did not have even one family within their brochures that was black. And when I mean black, I mean throughout the entire diaspora. So not African-American Muslims, not Muslims who are, you know, continental Africans. Um, So that was a huge um, shock for me. And even with some of the students who were looking at the pamphlet and saying like, you know, these, 
people don't look like me, yet this is such a foundation of my identity, right? Um, so there's that experience where you're like, you know, trying to break through some of those barriers and then having to deal with folks' internalized oppression and then folks' assimilation to um, like white racist culture. Um, but then on the other end, when you're in black communities, for me, it can be the experience of like the Islamophobia, the xenophobia. So there, you know, in some communities or some events for folks, it's like, there's no way you can be African-American. And it, sometimes it's shocking because there are so many African-American Muslims in this country. And then when you think about just trailblazers, folks who stood up for Islam and were unapologetically Muslim in this country, many of them were historically African-Americans. And then even when you think about, you know, um, African-Americans who were brought here centuries ago, it's like even some of our ancestors were brought here as Muslims and were indoctrinated to be um, to take other religions or whatnot. So it's a very um, interesting experience and can be conflicting and it sometimes can even be isolating. But as a parent, I think for my daughter, I want her to feel empowered and for her to be able to feel proud of all of those identities and to be able to be in those spaces and to say, you know, like, I, you know, I am black, I am Muslim, like I am here and this is my narrative and this is my story. And there's many other people like her that share the same experience. There are many people like me who share the same experience and identity. But it took me a while to kind of get to a point where I feel content about those experiences, And that really was through um, prayer, but also traveling traveling to different states throughout the country and interacting with different Muslim communities and being around certain African-American, Black, uh, predominant Muslim communities in the nation and just seeing how beautiful, how organized they are and how proud they are and realizing like, okay, this, this is something that I can create for myself and for my daughter moving forward. Yes, that's beautiful. Um, the ability to connect with community and actually to witness folks practicing and living in their whole being, um, communities that are living and practicing faith and also being unapologetically Black and being unapologetically Muslim. So at the end, maybe you can share some of those resources or where some of those communities are. How can we amplify those stories of folks who are thriving and building community um, that is resilient and full of faith? Um, and also, I want to honor and acknowledge what you shared about, you know, our ancestors who were brought here and enslaved practicing Muslim faith and then being forced to convert to different religious practices and, and acknowledging, right, like as someone. So I'm, I'm raised Christian um, and realizing that even as I was thinking about movement building and movement work and the history of like, you know, the civil rights struggle, how a lot of it's rooted in the Christian church, right? In the Christian faith. And I think about the old like Negro spirituals and all of those things that have gotten our communities and our, our people through hard times. How do we broaden our movement to be more inclusive of um, the voices and the prayers um, and the call of 
our Muslim brothers and sisters who have also been side by side, as you said, right? Like Malcolm X, you know, thinking about just some of the, you know, Betty Shabazz, just some of the, you know, the leaders who also were active in the movement and are still active in the movement, identifying as Muslim, like how do we hold both of those um, and not see them as oppositional, but that they're all connected in terms of like the fight for black liberation? That's a, a great question. It makes me think of how when people speak of history and they speak about um, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, and many times they use those figures and they'll pin them against each other and they'll say, you know, their strategies were different in this way, or you have to choose between those two and how that wasn't necessarily an accurate depiction of those two historical figures. And I think um, that relates to this question because really when you speak about um, like even say Pan-Africanism, right? Or ideas or theories around black unification and um, blackness and black communities and whatnot, there is a lot of things that we share that's in common. So even when uh, we look at, well, when I look at spirituality in terms of the Black community, I believe that the Black community is very spiritual um, and that there's a lot of practices that we all carry that are very similar in terms of certain ways that we worship um, some of our beliefs. And I think a belief in one creator and a higher being is something that a lot of us do share in common. And that's not to exclude folks that um, have beliefs outside of that. But I think sometimes it's the othering that becomes um, the issue. Uh, I think when, when I think of Islam as a mechanism a way of life that helps me to get closer to God, to improve my character and to guide my, my life practices. I, it's not in contradiction at all to, you know, the way that um, other spiritual groups practice. And I think as it relates to civil rights, a lot of the work is similar across the board. And I think a lot of us draw towards our spirituality and our connection to God for that strength to be able to do that work because a lot of that work, in my opinion, by nature is, is spiritually based. So I think, and if that is something that maybe someone would disagree with, you could also, um, argue that even if it wasn't spiritually based, it is work, activism is work that does impact you in a very much emotional and spiritual and physical way. And so that is one avenue of healing and um, remaining strong through that process, because it's not only the activism, it's not only that that we're dealing with, we're also dealing with ongoing, you know, microaggressions, um, actual aggression, right? Um, and it doesn't always matter whether we're Muslim or not, right? We receive that aggression as Black folks. Um, we've received that aggression as Black folks 
um, who are also Christian within their spaces of worship historically. Um, so I think we have a lot more in common than different. I think in terms of creating a space where um, you're able to parent in a, in a liberating manner and connect with other Black families, I think the focus should be on really tolerating each other, learning from each other, and organizing with each other. Because the more that we're divided, the, easy, the easier it is for us to be taken advantage of. So even when you think of, in my opinion, a myth around, um, say, Black people being a minority, like, I don't believe that, you know, like, I don't teach that. Like, I believe Black and Brown people are the majority, you know, and I think if we we're to come together as Black folks um, from a variety of backgrounds and intersections, I think we would have so much power and strength. Yeah, no, that's totally true in terms of our um, connection, right? That if we focus on where there are spaces of overlap and alignment and shared struggle, that we'd have um, much more power. And this is actually spiritual work, in my opinion. That's my belief. And when I say spiritual work, I don't mean it from a religious perspective. I mean, like, we have attacks on our bodies, on our spirits, on our minds, and our hearts all the time. And so in order to sustain ourselves, we have to be really like taking care of our own mind, bodies, and spirits, whether that be through religious practice or faith practice or other mental health practices or self-care practices, whatever those are, right? Like we have to be able to, to sustain ourselves. We have to be able to refuel ourselves. We have to be able to resist and also get a place of relief while we're doing movement work and all while we're doing just the work of being Black parent in the United States. And so curious about how does your faith actually sustain you? So I think for me, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, when I look at um, being a Muslim, um, following Islam, it's really, it really has become a mechanism for me to really build character and improve my life and um, get closer to God. And I think a lot of the times dealing with all of these aggressions or even things like watching television, right? So a lot of us, we might watch television and we'll hear a horrific traumatic story about, you know, a black youth being shot down by police, right? Or we might you know, I might open up social media and see that um, hundreds of people were killed in, say, I believe Mali, right? And I'm looking at some of those pictures and those stories, and they're people that, these are all people who look like me, right? And um, it can be extremely taxing, and sometimes you can feel very hopeless. And when I draw towards certain teachings, it helps to refuel me by really having me um, put my trust in God and kind of let those emotions and feelings out in that way. I think also people talk a lot about self-care. I think 
sometimes it's like, and that puts so much responsibility on an individual. I think it's beyond self-care. I think it's also community care. And I think for me personally, when I, when I read from the Quran or when I read different Islamic texts, I try to use that text to help, you know, make sense of things that are going on to give me hope in a way so that, you know, when I get up in the morning, knowing that this crazy stuff is happening throughout the world nationally, um, abroad, right, that even if no one else near me even acknowledges it, or if no one around me, you know, at my workplace and my geographical communities, if they're not even acknowledging or witnessing this, I know that um, God is, and I know that um, that things are going to work out for me and my child, and there's a bigger picture here, um, and that that really is my hope. And then also gives me the strength to then do that activism work. Right. And that's something that's so, um, it feels like African-Americans in this nation carry that legacy of activism. And so even my faith provides that healing and that strength and that support to be able to then build up my strengths and stand up for me and my daughter, despite you know, all the things that may be against me or my community or even, you know, the different things that we all deal with day by day. So, so yeah, I think it's really those teachings, that scripture, um, self-work, community work, um, and then really being able to, to sit in those emotions and experience them um, in a healthy way. Thank you so much. Um, I'm hearing you name that your your strategy to shift from fear, right? All of that could be taxing on the body, on the mind, that you rely on your faith, your scriptures, your um, lessons and teachings to shift and not sit in the fear and, and just practice in liberation because you have faith that things will work out for you and your daughter. So I'm curious, as you hold that liberation and you hold that faith, how do you parent for liberation? Do you have practices that you want to share with folks about how you raise a liberated black Muslim daughter? So my daughter is four. And so developmentally where she's at, it's been, it's been very just amazing. Again, a blessing to, um, to have a child and to be able to parent one. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about human development within college but now it's like you actually raise a child and you recognize all these different things that they go through and how um, even though they're small they're so aware of the world around them and so for me my daughter is young but she does um, you know mention different experiences that she has or acknowledges certain differences that she sees so a response to that for me has been really um you know, making sure that I'm on a path of healing for myself, what, whatever uh, healing that may be, you know, that might be from a standpoint of racial trauma, that might be a standpoint from, you know, uh, interpersonal trauma, right, that I've experienced, but really carrying that idea of um, 
of healing for myself because I'm my child's first role model and she's looking towards me and her, her father and the adults in her life to see, you know, how to do things, how to communicate, how to express emotions and those things. And I want to be able to express that in a a healthy manner for her and also show her what healthy relationships are like and what they can be. I think on the other side of that, a great strategy is um, representation. So, you know, children books that have kids that are from a diverse uh, background. So having stories where there's black girls, black princesses that look like my daughter, um, have story, having stories around Muslim families. So giving her a mixture of, you know, I'm looking at the story and there's a princess and the princess looks like me. You know, I can be that princess. I can be that pilot, right? Like I can be, um, all these amazing things, right. That I see in the books that I read or the shows that I watch, um, the other component of that for me is just reframing a particular narrative for my daughter. So in spaces um, where it feels like um, there's like a sense of, you know, white supremacy or black um, inferiority or anti-blackness or however you want to identify it, um, creating an alternative narrative where I send messages to my daughter about, um, you know, basic things in history about, you know, how beautiful her skin is, about how beautiful her hair is, you know, about a variety of things. So, um, so that as she grows, she can carry that self-esteem and those ideas in her mind. Um, so then she can feel liberated, right. As she grows into, um, a young adult or a young woman herself. Thank you for sharing all those stories that you share with your daughter and help to amplify her beauty, her power, and all that's possible for her. Earlier, you spoke about the responsibility of community care and how it's not about individual or self-care, that it takes the community to care for one another. And so as a non-Muslim Black parent, you telling me some of those resources are helpful, right, so that I can also share with my kids stories of Black Muslim children and Black Muslim folks and who are um, Black Muslim leaders, right? So that it's not only for children who practice the Muslim faith to know, it's also important for Black folks um, at large to be able to support and show up in solidarity um, with our Black Muslim siblings, brothers and sisters. So I'm curious, um, what would you like to share with parents who are raising non-Muslim children? Um, How can we talk to our kids? about Islamophobia? So I think um, there's a couple of strategies that come to mind. One of them is highlighting um, Black Muslim heroes, historical figures, trailblazers as um, a part of Black American history in general. So I think, you know, for example, thinking of Malcolm X, which we mentioned earlier, but then also more contemporary folks that we might see in the media so even like Ibti Haj Muhammad or Movita Johnson Harrell, um, the Pennsylvania state representative, who's also a black Muslim woman and highlighting them. Um, and when, you know, oftentimes a lot of 
even their experiences actually comes on media or social media around the difficulties and the microaggressions that they may face. I think Ilhan Omar is also like a great example of just like, you know, even the backlash or the experiences that we have as black Muslims. Um, I know her experience is also, I would assume in some ways is also different as she, um, is a Somali immigrant and that adds another complexity to this um, situation in terms of like intersectional identities. Yeah. And the xenophobia that's layered with the Islamophobia mm-hmm. and anti-blackness. Yeah. And really depending on the age of your child, being able to break down some of those experiences, right. And um, to be able to really disrupt that Islamophobia um, or whatnot, I think is a particular strategy. Um, But then also just, you know, informing your children that this is a part of our history, right? As black people in this nation, I think um, as it relates to younger children, teaching tolerance of diverse beliefs, um, learning basics, about um, Islamic faith. And when I say that, I mean, uh, sometimes the experience is a lot of folks, they have no idea about Islam or Muslims whatsoever. So they have a lot of false beliefs around, you know, Muslims do these crazy things and they believe in these crazy things as well, right? When in reality, it's like, you know, we worship, one God, like we also believe in Jesus, like, you know, there's a variety of things that, that aren't very different than a lot of other black folks. So really being able to learn those basics and not believe just what you see on television and the, you know, the, the negative propaganda around um, Muslims, because that same machine that's spreading hate is the same machine that spreads hate around um, black folks and immigrants and a variety of communities. It's one of the same, um, I like to say like heads of the same snake. It's one of, it's the same system, right? Um, That's really dividing people and um, demeaning people and dehumanizing folks. So really being able than to counter that by teaching tolerance, you know, learning about the folks that are your neighbors that go to school with you and really standing in solidarity, reaching out to the black Muslims that you may know, you know, there's been a lot of things on the media recently and, you know, even the opportunity to call someone or, you know, say to someone, is everything okay? Like, how are you doing today? I saw this on the news and it was very hard for me. Like, is everything all right? You know, and I think that's just a great standard to have with any parent um, or with any community or people that you care about. It's just that general concern of, are you okay? Please tell me about it if you feel comfortable, right? And not assuming. Um, And I think generally just disrupting the Islamophobia, the microaggressions that are in school settings, home, work. So a lot of these discussions and these comments and these experiences are happening around us in a variety of settings. So being able to be that person to challenge that, right? To say, you know, that was offensive. 
because this, because of that, right? And even if you're the only person to say that, you know, being courageous in that moment and really showing your solidarity. I think another, a last resource that I wanted to share is an online one and it's called Sapello Square. And it's an online resource on Black Muslims. And it's a great forum that really centers Black Muslim narratives. So it's something that I learned about um, within the year. And it's really been an amazing resource for me as a Black Muslim to be able to go on there and see some of the articles and to really, you know, read and learn more about other Black Muslims throughout the country or to learn about my history um, in that manner. So I think that also is a great general resource for Black people in general who may be interested in learning more specifically about that Black African-American Muslim experience. Thank you so much for those resources. And thank you for calling us into solidarity, into action. And also that action can be something that we can do on a day-to-day with our kids, with ourselves, about checking our own Islamophobia, checking our own stereotypes that we may have. Um, And also just realizing that all of that, right, the Islamophobia, the anti-Blackness, all of it is rooted in white supremacy. And so when we are pitted against each other, like we reinforce white supremacy. So I really appreciate you, you know, reminding us that it is about our own self-awareness, about how we show up, about what we say, about what tropes or stereotypes we may have. How do we check those um, and realize that we are all in this struggle together, you know, for Black folks or Black liberation? calling on Asada Shakur in this moment that we must love and protect each other. It is our duty. Call that forth, that it is our responsibility um, to show up for a community, regardless of our differences um, as a community, as Black folks. And so appreciate you coming on this podcast and sharing with us the ways that we can do that um, to honor our collective humanity and our collective struggle. Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. We'd love to hear from you how you are Parenting for Liberation. Feel free to comment, like, tag using the hashtag Liberated Parenting. Feel free to DM or email us at parentingforliberation at gmail.com with any questions, topics, or if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast. All right. Until next time, let's get free, y'all.